You'll recall that the previous canto had ended with Dante deeply distressed about what he'd seen and Virgil full of confidence about what he had divined and that they'd left Canto 20 discussing that, which is how they begin Canto 21. And Dante, the poet, makes this intriguing remark that they talked of things that he won't tell of in his comedy. Commentators wrestle with this expression. What is this secret talk um, that Virgil and Dante had? Some wonder whether they saw things that Dante didn't record. Um, I think actually that Dante's not doing it to tantalise us. He's doing it to provoke us into realising that the deepest truths, which is after all what his comedy is driving at, can't be communicated by words, can't even be communicated by telling of what happened, but must arise within us as we reflect upon what Dante's describing and also about what we know of things in life. It's this kind of direct knowledge, which we know intuitively in our bones, um, you know, a lot of the best knowledge is like that, uh, whether it be riding a bike. You know, you can read all the books you like about riding a bike. It will never tell you how to ride a bike until you get onto a bike. And similarly, um, if bikes don't particularly matter to you, I don't know, like matters around love. You can read a lot of books about love. But at the end of the day, you have to be in love, to fall in love, to fall out of love and um, to really know what loving is all about. And I think that the beginning of Canto 21 is a kind of pause um, to emphasise that. Um, it both says that what Dante is dealing with is the most important things that matter, but precisely because it's the most important things that matter, we have to learn to read between the lines, to feel it arising within ourself. That is what this secret conversation is about. Um, it's about that which is known implicitly rather than explicitly. So as they talk about these most important things, they arrive at the fifth bolger and they walk up onto the bridge um, that sits over the top of it. And Dante describes it as being strangely dark. I think of it as the kind of darkness that a black hole might have. Dark because light just can't escape from it. It sucks everything into it and so leaves it with this protonatural darkness. And it reminds him of the black pitch that he remembers seeing in the Venetian dockyards. And he describes a rather lovely picture, actually, of the Venetians during the winter time repitching their boats. It's a bridal-like description. He says some work on the bows, some work on the stern, some work on the oars. Everyone collaborating together to do a good job to prepare themselves for the future. It's an image of a functioning society, each playing their part. And of course, it sets us up for this canto, which Dante returns to as he looks down into the Bolger, this black hole of a place, and all he can see is this pitch-like stuff kind of rising and falling, almost as if it's breathing, uh, made by God's art, he says. And then the action gets going because Virgil grabs him and says, watch out, watch out. Um, Dante is overcome with fear. He says that all life left his body like blood rushing from him. And uh, he looks over his shoulder as he rushes off with Virgil. And they see coming towards them a demon who too is as dark 
um, as an emptier space as the pitch um, that they have been observing. He's a demon straight out of central casting. He has vast wings. Every movement he makes seems cruel. And slung over his shoulder, he has a soul that he's carrying like a haunch of meat. And he calls out, O Malabranche. Um, these are the, the, the evil hooked claws of this tribe of demons that he belongs to. He's brought a sinner for them to torment in the black pitch. And he throws this person over um, and immediately a hundred other demons appear with their with their pitchforks. And he has to try and stay underneath um, the, the dark pitch um, to avoid being sort of prodded and poked. Um, it says a bit like cooking meat in fat and putting it underneath um, to make sure that it's well done. Um, it's a truly horrendous moment. Um, we learn that the soul is from the city of Luca, and we begin to get a sense of what these individuals are being punished for. Um, the demons that poke the newly arrived soul, um, they mock him and said, um, see what you can pilfer in the dark down there. And of course, pilfering, uh, grafting, um, barratry, as it's called in the old sense of the word, in the old word, um, is always done in the darkness. Um, he's an elder from the city of Luca, and the uh, implication is, is that he's a corrupt civic official um, who would use his public office for his own personal gain. Um, and that is um, the first sense, at least, of what we have that these souls are being punished for. Um, that's their fraudulence. But quite quickly, in your imagination, you wonder whether there's more going on here too, because Luca is always also described as the city of Saint Zeta. And Zeta was a quite new saint in the 13th century. Um, she was um, a young soul who was known for her honesty, for her transparency of life. Um, and when she died young, many miracles were attributed to her. So Luca is not automatically a bad place. Um, it is also a society that knows what's good. And in fact, this is also emphasised because when the newly arrived soul unfortunately does show himself above the black pitch, um, the demons um, mock him again by saying it's not time to show the holy face. Um, the implication is that his face has sort of risen above the black pitch. Um, maybe he's even stretched out in a cruciform shape because the holy face was another well-known uh, relic of Luca. Um, which referred to an image of the crucified Christ, which clearly many people in Luca um, were um, you know, devoutly honoured and respected. So what you've got here, I think, is not just a picture of a few bad apples, a few corrupt officials, but a sense that something can go wrong in civic life. So even when it knows what's good, systemically, um, corruption can start to weave its way throughout the life of the place. Um, it's the contrast of the rather idealised picture of the Venetian um, uh, dockyards with which Dante had began the canto. And what might have gone wrong in the city of Luca, and by implication in human society, I think is indicated by what Virgil does next, because he says to Dante, you stay here and hide on the bridge and I'll go and confront the demons. And he looks bold and confident. 
um, in this advice. Um, and at first glance, maybe it seems like a good idea. Um, we know that Virgil's been here before. Um, he knows about confronting demons. Um, he knows they're a devious bunch. And so we wonder whether um, he gets Dante to hide because Dante's still looking very unsettled. He doesn't want the demons to see that and to be able to take advantage of that, cause a kind of panic in Dante. Virgil thinks that he can confront them and um, calm them down in order that they can find safe passage. But he does it by a deceit. Um, he does it by telling Dante to hide, by pretending he's there on his own. And so he's slipping into the very way of the demons, you might say, um, by thinking that he can outplay them at their own game. And I think that this perhaps gives us a hint of how things can go wrong at the collective level, uh, what this canto is going to start to develop, um, that we think that by getting on in life we can make small compromises here, make smart moves there, tell kind of white lies somewhere else, um, and uh, but before long um, things have overtaken us, um, and this is what's going to happen to Virgil in fact. Um, but for now he steps forward um, and uh, the demons all suddenly kind of rush and crowd around him. But he says, stop, before you get your, um, your, your hooks out to try and prang me, prong me as well, um, hear, what, hear why I'm here. Um, and the demons all say, um, send forward Malakoda. Um, send forward Malakoda. Um, that means the, the evil-tailed demon. Um, he clearly is some kind of leader. Um, maybe they know that he's good at confronting um, new situations, he's more uh, sort of intelligent but also more dastardly than the rest. And so Malakoda does indeed step forward and Virgil says to him, look, don't, do you think I'd be here? Um, uh, do you think I would have got this far through hell um, if I wasn't in some way blessed, if I wasn't in some way um, on a mission from the divine? Um, he sort of invokes God's name to try and intimidate Malakoda. Um, and in fact, Malakoda looks like he has been um, humbled. He drops his pitchfork, his arrogance leaves him, and he says to his fellow demons, don't touch this human. And Virgil thinks he's won the encounter. He calls to Dante, you over there, come and join me now here. But Malakoda, I think, has been faking it. Um, he is smarter um, than Virgil realises. Um, this is a moment now, in contrast to the previous canto, where Virgil has stopped learning, he's stopped thinking, he's assumed that he's got what it takes, um, almost as it were by a magical incantation, he can mention God's name um, and everything will go as he wills, um, but he's forgotten that they're descending, and they're descending into deeper reaches of hell, and just because they found a way through um, the terrible paths um, of the higher areas of hell doesn't mean that they um, understand the evils they're going to encounter now. And I think Malakoda um, knows that. He's hatching a plan. And it seems that Dante, in his more humbled state, his more wary state, is onto that. Because whilst he runs to Virgil, um, he intuits that something is deeply wrong. He says it reminds him of the time in his earthly life um, when he'd been on the wrong side of a battle. Um, they'd lost, and it seems that the victors had done a truce, had made a pact 
so that prisoners, which included Dante, could escape from the battle scene, could return to their homes. Um, but they had to march through the victors um, assembled around them. And Dante says there was nothing that terrified him more in life when he realised that his own life depended upon this truce holding. It seems now that in this bulger of hell, with all these hundreds of demons around them, their life similarly hangs by a thread. There's an intimation that Dante might be right because another demon immediately sparks up and says, you know, shall we start poking this new soul now? Um, but Malakoda keeps them calm for the moment. And then he delivers, I think, his second bit of fakery, where he says to Virgil, um, the bridge over the sixth bulger right in front of you um, has uh, fallen um, and it crumbled um, at the earthquake when Christ was crucified. Um, you'll remember that we've encountered the effects of the earthquake in hell before um, with the rock fall um, that Dante and Virgil climbed down. Well, it turns out that another impact of the earthquake is fe was felt um, in the sixth bulger when the bridge over um, it crumbled. But Malakoda says, um, but what you can do is walk around the edge of the bulger until the next bridge and cross it there. And moreover, Malakoda says, this will give you a chance to look into the bulger and uh, learn um, what um, lies within it, um, understand um, what these souls are being afflicted with. Um, he's suddenly wanting to help and assist Virgil and Dante on their journey, even wanting to help Dante to learn um, the lessons, the wisdom of his descent. And the reader perhaps is alerted to something uh, not quite right about this. You know, demons don't suddenly cooperate with the good for its own sake. Um, they are always out for their own gain as well. And of course, it turns out that Malakoda is telling another lie. Um, because, in fact, it wasn't just one bridge over the sixth bulger that crumpled with the earthquake, but all the bridges um, over that bulger collapsed um, at that moment. So the picture we're getting is of how um, spiritual wisdom um, can be lost quite as easily as it's gained. Um, and that is the situation um, that Virgil doesn't realise he's in, but Dante, in his fear, suspects. There's another detail which I think gives a different indication of the spiritual state of the characters of this canto. It's back to Malakoda this time, because he gives a quite remarkably precise um, bit of information about when the earthquake occurred. Uh, let me read it out. Um, he says, five hours more and it will be 1,266 years and a day since the bridgeway here fell crumbling to the ground. Um, you know, it makes you wonder what's with all this precision. And I think what he's unwittingly showing up there is that he knows exactly when the crucifixion occurred. It haunts him. It's the very thing that is judging him. He's, as we're counting the days. Um, and, you know, there's a, there's a reason why he knows it so precisely, because it does so um, fill him with fear. Um, he's showing confidence, but he's also unwittingly revealing something of his inner life too. But nonetheless, his confidence um, is winning the day at the minute. And what he says to Virgil is, look, uh, let me assemble a troop 
of my fellow demons to accompany you along the way. And um, very amusingly, really, he names 10 demons who are going to accompany Virgil and Dante. Um, again, it gives you this real sense of um, devilish society. Um, Dante is wary. Dante says to Virgil, look, if we're on a divine mission here, if you've got God's blessing straight from heaven, why do we need demons to accompany us? Can't we just go out on our own? But Virgil's overconfidence is still ruling the canto. And he says, don't you worry, Dante, I've got them under control. Um, let us set off. And set off they do. It says they turned left. Again, another little detail. I think Dante now saying they thought they were on the right path, but actually they had made a terrible mistake. And then the canto ends with a fanfare, as if to indicate that something is not right um, in both a kind of darkly humorous but also implicitly terrifying uh, way, because the fanfare is the demons all saluting Malacode by blowing raspberries in their um, mouths, um, to which Malacode himself um, doubles up and issues a fart. Um, it's a bit of scatological humour. Um, but it makes you think of the time in the previous canto again where Dante had said he was going to speak himself about the truth of divination by sounding um, the truth, the trumpet of truth. Um, and now that is being deeply mocked um, by the trumpet um, from Malacoda's behind. Everything in canto 21 is now mocking what happened in canto 20. Um, the demons have spoken seeming truths that are concealing lies. Uh, Dante has invoked God's name, but not realised that his attitude is undermining the very invocation of God's name. Uh, Dante is the only one in a way who is seeing some sense, but he's so terrified that he can't assert um, his own truth. And it leaves them, um, at the end of this canto, moving out along the edge of the sixth bulger with this troop of very dangerous demons and we the readers are left completely unclear what is going to happen next.